for doing their Christmas bit, practicing hard. So I don't know if we hear singing later on or something, we'll know that's what it is. Come with me this morning, please, to the book of Ezekiel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Just give you a minute to find that. We're turning to chapter 1. Just going to dip into it a little bit in chapter 1. And we'll begin reading from verse 1 of chapter 1 of Ezekiel. Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Kibar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. And on the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzai, in the land of the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians that is, by the river Kibar. And the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Then I looked, and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud raging with fire engulfing itself, and brightness was all around it, and radiating out of it its midst like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Also from within it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Each one had four faces, and each one had four wings." Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. The hands of a man were under their wings and on their four sides. And each of the four faces had and wings. And each of the four had faces and wings. The wings touched one another. The creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man. And each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side. And each of the four had the face of an ox on the left side. And each of the four had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces. Their wings stretched upwards. Two wings of each one touched one another. And two covered their bodies. And each one went straight forward. And they went wherever the spirit wanted to go. And they did not turn when they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire like the appearance of torches going back and forth among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and out of the fire went lightning. And the living creatures ran back and forth in appearance like a flash of lightning. Now as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel was on the earth beside each living creature with its four faces. The appearance of the wheels and their workings was like the color of beryl, and all four had the same likeness. The appearance of their workings was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. And when they moved, they went toward any one of four directions. They did not turn aside when they went. And as for the rims, they were so high, they were awesome. And the rims were full of eyes all around the four of them. When the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went, because there the Spirit went. And the wheels were lifted together with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And when those went, these went. When those stood, these stood. And when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up together with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. The likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures 
was like the color of an awesome crystal stretched out over their heads. And under the firmament their wings spread out straight, one toward another. And each one had two which covered the other side of the body. And when they went, I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of many waters, like the voice of the Almighty, a tumult, like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. A voice came from above the firmament that was over their heads. Whenever they stood, they let down their wings. And above the firmament over their heads was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like a sapphire stone. And on the likeness of the throne, there was the likeness with the appearance of a man above it. And also from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downwards, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around, like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. So was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. A long reading. Amen. Ezekiel was a priest, prophet. He was of the captives of Judah uh, that had been taken to Babylon. And here we find him in chapter 1. He's living among the captives in a settlement by the river Kibar. And while Daniel was the prophet to the captors in the palace, Ezekiel was the prophet to the captives by the river Kibar. And while these two great prophets were ministering uh, in different situations within Babylon, uh, at the same time, Jeremiah uh, was left in Jerusalem to minister to the remnant that remained. It must have been a tremendous shock to the system for these people of Judah uh, to be taken to Babylon. Babylon at that time was the great city. You're talking comparable today to London or Rome or Paris of its day. And uh, for them to come there and to see such grand architecture and great boulevards and mighty temples built to their gods, whom they believed uh, was the reason why they had won so many victories over the nations uh, around them. However, in spite of such misgivings they may have had when they went there, it wasn't too long until they made adjustments. And they began to quickly assimilate into Babylonian society. One writer said that within a generation, within 25 years, none of them were speaking Hebrew. In fact, it would be two and a half thousand years before they would be speaking Hebrew again. A couple of good things happened, though, out of this captivity. After this captivity in Babylon, whenever they were finally free, Never again would the Jews worship any other God but Jehovah to this very day. And because their temple uh, had been destroyed and they had no place uh, to worship as they had been doing, uh, Ezekiel was the one who was instrumental in the concept of the synagogue, uh, a place to remind them that wherever they would be dispersed to the ends of the earth, that there could be a synagogue, a place where they could worship and be reminded of the one true and living God. And that has remained to this very day. 
And so Ezekiel was known for his apocalyptic visions, his predictions, his signs. Ezekiel would see the heavens opened and he would see great visions. And these would take the form of almost indescribable, surreal, abstract-looking visions. And this would cause Ezekiel, seeing these things, images for the very first time, this would cause him to speak in the language of appearance, like John on the Isle of Patmos when he got the revelation. If you saw something for the first time and you didn't know what you were looking at and you had to try to describe it, you would do the best that you could. And that's why he uses such terms as in the likeness of or in the appearance of or like unto or was as. That's the best he could do. And of course, these images were fantastic. We just read this first vision that he got and it's almost hard to describe, isn't it? And Ezekiel saw this great whirlwind of fire, lightning, colors like the colors of a rainbow. And God was not just coming in judgment, but he was coming in mercy. Rainbow speaks of mercy. And this great burning cloud was like God's fiery chariot borne along by these strange-looking creatures who were moving like burning coals like lightning with these great wheels that touched earth and heaven with eyes all around. And these four creatures later on are called cherubim. And these cherubim uh, were strange. They had four faces and they had four wings and they had four hands and they had strange looking feet and great waves each side of them. And so this is the imagery that we see here in Ezekiel's vision. The face of a man speaks of intelligence, of reason, of wisdom, of knowledge. Man is the jewel and the crown of all of God's creation. Higher than the animal life with great capacity to reason, great faculties of logic, being able to think and decide and to choose, not just from instinct, but to think something through, to reason it. God comes to man and says, come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Never says that to these animals. But we've got the ability to do that. Face of a lion on the right side. A lion speaks of power and courage, and fearlessness. The lion is the king of the jungle, isn't it? You don't want to mess with a lion. Sure you don't. You see them out there in the Serengeti or the savannah, and that great, especially the ones with that great mane of hair. C.S. Lewis used that imagery in his great stories, didn't he? And in the face of an ox, an ox is the burden bearer. An ox is something that carries the load for its master. It's a servant. It's a worker. It's a burden bearer. And in the face of an eagle. Eagles have got the ability to soar high, really, really high. Oftentimes when a storm is coming and they can't get around it, 
They go above it. They've got the ability to climb and climb and climb. In fact, they have been found at great heights with ice crystals forming on their wings. They've also got piercing eyes. They've got tremendous eyesight. They can see from great heights. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, portray Jesus in similar ways. Matthew is the gospel of the kingdom. It speaks of the lion. In Matthew's gospel, in the genealogy of Christ, it begins the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And there's a lot traced back to King David. And so, Christ, the lion, the regal, majestic lion. Jesus had great power. He had great power. He could still a storm with just a word. He could calm an angry sea with just a word. He could speak to a fig tree and it would wither and die. He had immense power at his disposal. He could turn water into wine. He could break bread and feed a multitude with five loaves and two fishes. He had great, immense power. And of course, he was absolutely fearless and courageous in spite of all that came against him in this life. You remember at his trials, both his religious trials and his civic trial with Pilate. Pilate was amazed how calm he was. Do you not know that I've got the power to take your life or to spare it? And Jesus said, you would have no power at all except it was given you. What courage, what fearlessness in front of Herod would not speak a word. And all of the trouble, all of the and all of the attacks against his very physical frame. In spite of all of that, he kept so calm and displayed such courage and fearlessness. Mark is likened unto the ox. Mark is the servant gospel. It's interesting, isn't it, when you look at Mark, there's no genealogy. Servants were not really given genealogies, weren't thought important enough to put it down. You read Mark's gospel, uh, some of the key words is immediately. Uh, Jesus was on a mission and he was hurrying to do that mission. He would complete it. And he was either going somewhere or coming from somewhere He's either meeting somebody's need or he's going to meet somebody's need because he was a servant. And what a servant's heart he had. And how often did he show that servant's heart? Luke describes him as the son of man, face of a man, totally human, 
Whenever you read the genealogy in Mark's gospel in chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, you'll find that he traces all the way back to Adam. And if anybody shows him as the son of man, it's, it's, it's Luke. Luke's the only one that recorded that he sweated, as it were, great drops of blood in that time in Gethsemane. Uh, Look, being a doctor, uh, noticed those things about the man with the withered hand. It was his right hand he reached out and things like that that he would pick up on. But Jesus loved the title, the Son of Man. That was his favorite title. He's so identified, so totally human. Totally human. John portrays him as the Son of God. Here's the eagle, the son of God, totally God, speaks of his deity. Whenever you turn to the very first chapter of the gospel of John, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, speaking about Jesus. And so these four living creatures with these four faces can be a good illustrative type of Christ in the Gospels. There's a reason for the four Gospels, you know, of course, by the way, to uh, show us all the sides of Christ. And John's is very different than the first three. first three are called the synoptic Gospels. Sin means together. Optic, see, see together. So the first three has lots and lots and lots of similarities. But when you go to the Gospel of John, it's very different. It's a very different Gospel. And relates much to Jesus in the, in the last days of his life, much of it. These four living creatures <clears throat> with four wings, with two, they covered their body. No flesh showing. Speech of, speaks of righteousness and holiness. And we are to be righteous and we are to be holy in Christ. No flesh showing. Two wings pointing heavenward. Even if you put up your two hands, it's the universal sign of surrender, isn't it? Two wings pointing heavenward. Speaking of worship and obedience. If we raise our hands in worship... To worship the living God, surely it should be a sign that we're worshiping and obeying. The wings that were pointing upwards also touched each other. Speaks of unity and harmony. Isn't it wonderful when we can walk in unity and harmony? What a difference that makes to the body of Christ when we're in unity and harmony. Because that's what the heart of God wants for us. Notice how, in verse 8, how these had hands of a man under their four wings. Hands and wings are a good combination. (laughs) They're a good combo. Wings to soar with God in prayer and worship and hands to reach out to touch someone. 
for Christ's sake. A relationship with God is always upward and outward, vertical and horizontal. Always. Wings for worship, hands for work. He is the head, the head is in heaven, we're the body, the body's on earth. So we worship the head who is in heaven, but we're his body with our hands to reach out and to touch the lives of others for his sake. Some Christians have wings but no hands. What do you mean? Well, they isolate and insulate themselves from the world as much as they can. They feel as long as I'm saved, just me and the Lord. But it's more than that. It's more than wings. It's wings and hands. Some don't like reaching out into the community. Get your hands dirty. Say, David, it's tough knocking on doors, sharing a witness and work. But we're called to do it. We're called to use our hands to reach out. Isn't that what Jesus done? With wings, he went up to the mountain to pray to the Father. But with hands, he reached out and he touched the multitudes. The great C.T. Studd, the great English cricketer, a wealthy man who gave up his sport and his fame and his wealth to become a preacher. He said, some want to work within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That was his famous statement. And he did. Some Christians have hands but no wings. <laughs> they will do anything and everything that's practical to do to help others. But church is a chore. Devotions are a chore. Worship is a chore. But just give me something practical today. For that worship business, those devotions, spend time in prayer. Nah, not for me. I'm going to help the Lord with something practical. And there's some people like that. Their hands are busy, but they've got no wings. There's a time for hands and there's a time for wings. In Matthew chapter 17, if I have a, just a, a quick glance there, Verse 1 of chapter 17. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Can you imagine what a sight that must have been? The hairs must have stood in the back of their head. Not only was Jesus there, but their childhood heroes 
were there also. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Boy, he didn't want to go down from that mountain. He wanted to park there. Oh, this, is, this is really, really good. He's going to savor this moment as long as he can. He's going to milk it for all it's worth. Who could blame him? But while he was yet speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them saying, Tell the vision to no one till the Son of Man has risen from the dead. As they came down from the mountain, They had the wings experience. And what an experience it was. Would live with them forever. But it didn't stop there. Now they've got to go and get their hands dirty. They had to come down from the mountain and go out and minister. Revelation chapter 2. Jesus standing in the midst of the seven churches. Chapter 2 of Revelation. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and found them liars. And you have preserved and have patience and have labored. He mentioned that twice. For my name's sake, and have not become weary. Boy, they were workers. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. known for their works, for their labor, for their busyness, for their industry, for all of their effort, all with the best intention, all with the best motivation. But somewhere along the line, they left their first love. Somewhere along the line, they forgot about the wings. And it was just the hands ministry. Martha had hands when she should have had wings. There's a place for hands. There's a time for hands. But there's a place and a time for wings. And Martha missed the opportunity. Mary didn't. Mary sat at his feet. You know, sitting at the feet of a rabbi means that you're coming under their teaching. You're submitting yourself to their teaching. 
And Mary, bless her, was listening. And what Jesus was talking about it, she wanted in on it. So even though they might have been hungry and they needed it served, but this was too good to miss. This was a wings time. And she sat at his feet. And Martha got all flustered, didn't she? Because to her, this was a hands time. And she missed the point. There is a hands time, but there's a wings time. And you don't mix the two together. You don't mix them up. They're both useful. They both have their place. But don't mix them up. Martha, Martha, you're cumbered about much serving. But Mary has chosen the good part. This is needful. So in our individual lives, and even within the life of our church corporately, there's a time for wings and there's a time for hands. And if we can get the balance between the two, you know, it's lovely to come in here on a Sunday and worshiping together and listening to the Word together and Sunday school and all that's happening in these four walls. Thank God for it. Wonderful. But what about out there? I mean, they're hardly lining up to come in here on save people, are they? So what are we going to do? We're going to have to find ways to reach them out there before we ever get them in here. That's the hands ministry. Why do you think we're bothering with these interviews and doing these two-minute testimonies and all of that there? Trying to reach into that internet world out there that people trawl through. Maybe people are wondering about the things of God. Maybe somebody's been speaking to them in work. Somebody's given them a little tract or a pamphlet or a book or something. And they're curious and they're wondering. And they're looking through. And suddenly they see your testimony. They think, wow. That's good. Never heard that before. I guess I'm curious. It's the hands ministry. It's reaching out. It says here there were wheels within a wheel. And these wheels were huge, massive, reaching from earth all the way into heaven. speaks of the sovereignty of God. His will being done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants his will done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's things you've got to understand about the will of God. There's a part of the will of God that will be fulfilled no matter what you do. Christ is coming back. He has promised that and he's coming back no matter what you do or anybody does. He's coming back. That's settled. There's no issue with that. But we know that God wants and he's not willing that any should perish but all should come to repentance but we know that's not going to happen. Not all, not all will come to repentance. Got to choose. But God wants his will done. He wants it done. 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This world would be a different place if God's will was completely fulfilled in earth as it is in heaven. Yes, one day it will be. One day at the end of the age, when sin and Satan are destroyed forever. But until then, until then, this great wheel, this speaks of the cycle of God's purposes, the cycle of history with God intervening. Uh, deists, deists believe in God, but they believe that God created this earth this whole, and this whole universe, and he wound it up like a great cosmic clock, and he lets it run, and he has no part in it from that point on. He's no personal part in it. And that's why a deist doesn't believe in the revelation of Scripture and so forth and so on. Believe that God created, but that's as far as it goes. On your own from that point on. Doesn't intervene in any way, in any life. But that's not what the Bible teaches. God does intervene. And God intervenes not only in the life of individuals, but He intervenes in the life of nations. Read history, read the Bible, and you'll see the hand of God intervening again and again and again. And He's going to intervene a whole lot more in the nations. And whatever is going on among the nations today, and there's a lot happening around the world, isn't there? The world is in a very state of, a great state of flux. Everything is very fluid at the minute. Things happen so quickly among the nations. You think God hasn't got a hand in this? You think he's surprised or shocked? No. It's a sovereign God. And that's why when Jesus was talking about wars and rumors of wars, he says, don't be afraid. These things must come. But don't you be afraid about it. Know that I know about it. <laughs> and these waves had rims, and there was eyes all around the rims speaks of the omniscience of God, the all-seeing, all-knowing God. Aren't you glad God's all-seeing and all-knowing? Yeah. Nathaniel got a shock, didn't he? His first introduction to Jesus. Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. What? How did you know me? I saw you under the fig tree. You saw me under the fig tree? Nobody saw me under the fig tree. Yeah, I saw you under the fig tree. All seeing eye of God. Nothing hid from his sight. Disciples is out in the boat, they're out in the stormy sea, thinking they were going to perish. Jesus is up the mountain. Time for wings. Worshipping, praying to the Father. Then what happens? He sees them toiling and rowing in the midst of the sea. I don't think that was with the natural eye. Nothing escapes his attention. 
Nothing. Let me just point something out to you in Genesis 15. In Genesis 15 is the story, of course, of Abram and Sarai and how she had no child. And then eventually Sarai said to Abram, why don't you take my Egyptian maid, go in unto her, and she'll bear a child, and that'll be ours. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name is Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. And so he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and you. Between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, with a spring in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall be not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has heard your affliction. Ishmael means God hears. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man. And every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. Now note this. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. Or El Rohai. You are the God who sees. Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Rohai which means the well of the one who lives and sees me. Ah, the one who lives and sees me. The one who lives and sees you. Nothing is hidden. He sees her pain. He sees her hurt. He sees her fears. He sees her joys, he sees her victories, he sees her steps, and he sees her stumbles. Nothing is hid from an omniscient God who sees. Just one more thing in closing. Verse 26 to 28, he sees what can only be described as a throne room. The throne room of glory. And on that throne, he sees one in the appearance of a man. That must have been a shock to him. One in the appearance of a man. God in the appearance of a man? How could that be? Yeah, it's easy for us to understand that. For New Testament people, we know that 
God in Christ came to this world as a man, fully human and yet fully God. We know when we get to the glory, we're going to see Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as a man, but a glorified man. The Son of God glorified with hands that are pierced. But Ezekiel, long before that ever happened, can't understand it. It must have been strange to him to see this. How could that be? A man. But it makes sense to us, doesn't it? Son of God, Son of Man, seated on the throne of glory. And one day all the nations of the world will come and they will bow before him and they will acknowledge him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. Ezekiel's vision of God. What a vision. What a book. That's only one vision. Should do some more of them. It's not a book you read very often, is it? But there's so much in it. So much in it about God. I love the Old Testament for that reason because it's so ability to show us and expound to us and teach us about the things of God. So let's have wings and let's have hands. Wings to reach up, hands to reach out. Wings to touch God and worship and prayer, hands to reach out and minister to people in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, we thank you that you are seated on your throne today. And Lord, that the nations will obey you because you're the great God of all the earth. We thank you, your word says, that the very earth is your footstool. So we bless you, Lord, that you are in control. We thank you that you're seated in a place of authority and power. And we thank you that the Word of God tells us that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. What a blessing, Lord. What a joy to know you and to love you and to serve you and to serve others in your name. So we give you thanks for this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.